Welcome to episode 915 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Radio team, welcome along to episode 915 of I Am Talk with Coach John Newsom and Bevan James Oz. How you going, mate? I'm bloody good, Bevan. How about yourself? We're doing, we're doing the late night shift. I've got to go to the surgeon in the morrow, tomorrow, in the morrow, tomorrow. tomorrow. Uh, and got to go see the surgeon. So I said, John, can I do it on a Monday night? And he's a good man. So we are here late at night. We're here for the people. That's what we do. We're here for the people. And let's mention a few of those people. John, I Am Talk is proudly brought to you by... Chris Jetstream Doherty. Got John, I'm going to knock you out, Redden. And Ruthless Ryan Smith. Oh, great nickname. In this week's show, we've got some news. We've got a hot topic of the week. We're going to interview John. We are. We're going to talk to Sonia Bracegirdle. We tried to talk to her last week, but she was sick as a dog. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to catch up with her tomorrow morning. And all going to plan, we're going to talk about how to tackle Mauna Kea, which is the highest... Oh, highest bike ride you can do in the world. It's in Hawaii. I'm hopefully going to attempt it oh. in May. So I didn't know it was the me. highest in the world. Well, I'm pretty sure it is the highest climb you can do. Um, oh. You go from sea level to about four and a half thousand meters. Um, so somebody can fact check it for me and tell me I'm wrong. Okay, but I'm, I'm pretty sure, pretty positive, it's the highest bike ride you can do on a road. Yeah, I suppose you could probably bike up some bloody mountain bike track somewhere, but it's the highest sort of road you can do anywhere in the world in terms of getting the most elevation. So we're going to talk to her about that, and uh, I'll get myself some tips. And if anybody else wants to go and do it, she did it several several years ago, and she currently has the fastest female time of all time. Okay, well, you might not be 100% right. Um, sure there's one called Paradangla. Uh, and it's 18,000 feet is the highest motorcyclable road. Motorcyclable, yeah, okay. We want something cyclable. Yes, but maybe you can be, yeah. So cycling the world's highest motorcycling road. But you're up there, John. You're, I don't want to, I don't yeah. want to, I don't want to ruin you. you. You know, take the shine off your achievement. Uh, yeah. Also, we've got us, uh, John's History Lesson, Winger of the Week, and question and answer at the end. Okay, John, it's a very exciting time in our world right now because we've been waiting for years to see what's going to happen with the PTO. T100's announced and we've got T100 Clash Miami happening in just under two weeks from now. We'll talk about that a lot more next week, but I just thought it'd be worth flagging because uh, it's you know they only announced this series a few weeks ago and we've got our first race coming up, which is going to be really cool. Um, so yeah, the fields are going to be announced later this week, which will be quite exciting because it's not going to be 100% you know, field because, you know, the 20 contracted athletes, we're not going to prop, I doubt we'll see the likes of Flora Duffy and Taylor Nib, but that's going to be coming out later this week. Um, but they should still be extremely strong fields. Um, it'll also be interesting to see the course. I assume they'll just use the standard course in Miami that they've used for other challenge and clash races there, just doing laps of the track. Um and yeah, I think it's going to be it's going to be an interesting race because though I I had a very quick scan over the Challenge Miami race from it was either last year or the year before. Yep. It was very hot. 
Um, it wasn't particularly exciting like the women's race. It was actually gentle, just annihilated everybody. Um, but really, really hot. So that made it interesting. Um, but the fields were nowhere near as strong as what we're going to see in a couple of weeks' time. So um, the one thing I would say, was two things I'd say, is they really lacked a bit of atmosphere. Like the racing's really cool. Was it the one that, that wasn't massive... the, that wasn't the one that was they had Daytona for a while? That's not that one, is it? It's not. It's um yeah, it's not. It's a it's a shorter track. I'm pretty sure it's a shorter track. Um, it's not a race so, track. Yeah. It's, it's that's where they've held it the last couple of times. The age group race goes outside the track. Yeah, the pro race has just been laps of. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm uh, excited to see what they do here and and what they do to make it. Yeah, a bit more interactive because the last time, you know, there's no crowd, very, very little crowds. It was a great race, but it didn't really have that buzz, perhaps, that we've seen some of the other ones. So we'll talk about that a lot more next week. It kind of reminds me a bit of when they did the sub, the first time they tried to do the sub two hour marathon. Remember when they tried to do it around that racetrack? Mm. You know, and they had like a a bit of a crowd on the finish line, but it it kind Mm. of lacked a bit of the atmosphere. Whereas the second time they did it, they did it on public roads. And they're pretty big crowds, the whole thing, you know, it made a difference. Yeah, it, was just a bit, it? it was just a bit more interesting to watch, you know, yeah, the, just yeah, the scenery. Really was, I don't know yeah. what it was about it, but it was it was definitely a bit more interesting. Yeah, it was just a bit lacking. Uh, anything else on that? Or we'll go deep into that next week. We'll go deep dive into that <laughs> next week. But <laughs> we, did have, we did have a race that's not really related to our world, but I just it was worth a mention. The World Triathlon Winter Championships in Pregaletto, Sestria. Uh, so Sestria is right on the, I don't know if it's France or it's right on the border of France and sort of Italy. Um, so the winners, the, the format they do there is quite interesting. So they, the women's race took them an hour, 50 minutes. They ran 4,000 meters. They bike or mountain bike six kilometers on snow. Then they ski six kilometers. Wow. Then they do another run, which looks to be about the same as the first one. So another 4K run. Then they do the bike again, 6K bike. And then they do another 6K ski. So quite a few transitions in there. Um, so it goes, yeah, run, bike, ski, run, bike, ski. Uh, Sandra Mayhoffler from Italy took the females race out uh, relatively comfortably, sort of minute 45 on the boys' side of it. And there was only 10, 10 in that race. On the boys' side of it, it was only 13. And we had Franco Pesaviento from Italy also taking that one out. He's only... How old is he? 1997, so he's uh, 27 years old. So pretty small event, but kind of cool format. It's interesting that it goes under the World Triathlon organisation. You know, like it seems such a small, you know, it's just interesting that they kind of still give it the attention. Yeah, I suppose so. Yeah, I know. Because is it totally an great. Olympic sport? No, but that's probably the angle they're going for. You know, we've got... We've got you know all the different biathlon type sports at the Olympics, but no, they don't have that. So I'm sure that's the angle they're going for, trying to push to get it into the Olympics at some stage. And have yeah, you ever done that? Have you ever appeal. done the mountain biking on snow? No, it would it, I would be absolutely hopeless. I struggle mountain biking on shingles. <laughs> snow would be abysmal because they have spikes in their tires, don't they? That was sometimes they do. That's pretty extreme, but it didn't look like it in this case. It looked like it. The pictures I saw looked like it was relatively straight line riding but i only saw a few pictures so i could be completely wrong okay so we had another race happening again it's a pretty quiet time for racing right now but we did have the husky ultimate in australia it's a bit of a bit of an iconic race that's been going for a long time and it's still a pretty good field yeah well 
about 28%. Her strength of field was 28. You had Radka Carterfelt take it out. She won by about six minutes. And a fella called Henrik Gosch. He looks like he's uh, from Finland. He took the boys' race out by about a minute in front of good old Tim Burkle. But yeah, the Aussies love that race. The Husky Ultimate. Uh, everyone raves about it. Yeah, but this year, not so strong on the pro front. But well, on because... the females, and the mean strength of it was 65, which I know is still not great, but it's better then. Yeah. 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 It's, uh, yeah. But it's supposed to be a great race. Hope you all okay, have so fun over there. We've got our first big Ironman coming up for the year because Ironman New Zealand's coming up in the 2nd of March. So that is, what's that this weekend, John? Saturday. Yeah, this um, weekend. And maybe, you know, because one thing that we probably haven't touched on a lot is that it's the 40th anniversary of Ironman in New Zealand. Um, mm-hmm. Let's talk about the race first. Maybe we'll talk about the significance of the race in our in our sporting calendar. So what's happening in the pro race? Well, it's interesting. When you look at Torsten's ratings, uh, he's actually got a fellow called Nick Heldorn, who is actually rated on Torsten's ratings to come in in front of Braden Curry and Mike Phillips. Um, we'll talk about Nick Heldorn in a little bit. So yeah, the current seedings on Torsten's ratings, and Nick Heldorn come in at 7 hours 58 and 7 seconds, and then Braden Curry about a minute later, and then Mike Phillips about two minutes after that. Uh, I think it probably will be a battle between those three. Um, the next sort of tear down of athletes are, you know, are, are a tear down, so I don't expect if those guys are on fire that they'll be, they'll be uh, giving those front guns too much of a pro- tr- uh, trouble but Mike's on good form you know had a good race down in Challenge Wanaka Braden Curry didn't do that one so he might be a little bit fresher and we had a great race between them last year when uh, you know, it was a bit of back and forth um, Braden Curry got in front on the run and then Mike uh, actually pegged him back and passed him when Braden Curry blew up uh, and then on the female side uh, again we should have a, an interesting race uh, Chelsea Sodaro is racing and she's uh, had an interesting time. She's came over to New Zealand. She raced in uh, Tauranga Half Ironman and didn't take the W there. Then she went over to Tasmania 70.3 and she did win there. Um, but she's up against uh, Jocelyn McCauley, Barbara Riveros and Laura Sedell. So based on Torsten's ratings, uh, she should come out on top pretty comfortably. Um, but we should wait and see. Uh, Al Swister is also there as well. So yeah, the, the women's field. Let's see, comparing, yeah, like the women's field is 24% of a Kona field. The men's is only 5% of uh, of a Kona field. So the women have got a bit of a bit of a tough, uh, stronger field this year. And, and I guess when you've got the world champion from a couple of years ago uh, on the books, that obviously strengthens things up a little bit. Well, thanks. Uh, Nick Hedron from the Netherlands, he actually won Emberman last year in 2022. Yeah. yeah. And and this is where his his ranking on Torsten's ratings have him quite highly, but his ranking on uh, the PTO yep. rankings have him sort of ranked fourth out of all those guys. And so he's had some really good success at um, second tier races. Uh, Ember Man, he got second last year. The year before, he won it. He got second at Lanzarote, um, and he's had a num- number of other wins. But when it comes to the the big races, he hasn't done that many. He got 15th at the Ironman World Champs last year, so not a bad performance. So, yeah, I do think it will likely be between those three. Um, and, yeah, That's strength of field. 100,000 US prize money is quite big for New Zealand, isn't it? I know. I, when I saw that, I thought, oh, that yeah. is quite big for New Zealand. Like historically, it might have been 50 or 75. So, uh, yeah, it's good to see a bit more bit more dosh on the line. So good kudos to Ironman New Zealand for making that happen, whether it was them or Ironman, but uh, good on them. Okay, so, John, we haven't really done a lot of work in saying the history of the race, but let's oh, talk about it a little bit. You have clearly 
underprepared today. Scroll oh, yeah, history lessons. Sorry, I have. Sorry. Lesson. Oh, sorry. Oh, God. God. What have yeah, you been doing yet. all day on your Mondays? Not <laughs> looking at my go. bloody show notes is what you've been doing. <laughs> there we go. You've been, I've been caught every hand. <laughs> yeah. Just, just winging it. <laughs> okay. We're going to go into the history lesson a lot really yeah. soon, team. Okay. We've also got... Uh, 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 one other thing I want to make that I say that's pretty odd about IME New Zealand this year is that they've only got 15 slots for Nice for the females yet they've got 30 slots for males. That's kind of the ratio we'd kind of expect when it was back in the good old Kona days where boys yep. and girls both go, yeah, true. that sort of ratio. But I'm kind of, I'm, I'm thinking they're going, if we put more slots in this on for Nice, it's just going to roll and everyone's going to get a slot. But I kind of would have thought, we want to be encouraging a few more females to go to Nice. It's a lot harder for us to go to Nice than as to Kona. Granted, Kona is insanely expensive now. Um, I just thought that was uh, interesting and worth a mention. Also, when we think about Australasian athletes, how many races have you got in Australasia where you can actually qualify for Nice? There's not a huge amount, is there? So you no. think maybe you're kind of top-heavy a few slots on this part of the world, just so, especially in that females' field, as you're saying. Mm. Um, yeah. Especially with the giving away slots, like, you know, they've just said to all the legacy athletes, if you want to go to Nice, or if you, even if you've taken your Kona spot, if you want to go to Nice as well, come along. So it just kind of, I don't know, just kind of flew in the face of them trying to make it easier on many fronts and then only 15 slots you know most age groups that's going to be one maybe two uh so just seems so do you think they've just treated it as a, as a mathematical equation where they've gone you know these right if you've got so many athletes you get these many slots without considering mm. where you know because like, i do think you have to contemplate where different parts of the world if it's in you know different parts of the world where you've got less ironman races you maybe need to kind of give a few more slots in those parts of the world well, you're weighing that up against how many athletes you have in a particular race. And if we put, you know, 30 slots, is everybody going to be eligible because it will just roll down to the bottom. So yeah, it's, it's try and weigh that up. Yeah. They I can't wonder... win because we, we they can't win because when they give too, too many slots away, we complain. And when they don't give us enough that we complain as well. So well, also interestingly, situation. back in the old days when the races were more independently owned, you know, the, the race would buy slots, wouldn't they? It was kind of like an advertising mm. marketing campaign. You know, like I mean, New Zealand traditionally always had lots of slots because when it was owned more locally or whoever owned it before it was bought up by um, Ironman Corporation, they used to have lots of slots in comparison to a lot of other races as a way to kind of mm. draw more people in. So, yeah, yeah. it's interesting stuff. Uh, other news, uh, Challenge Ismail Rand, uh, Ismail Man, uh, is now being raced as Challenge, which uh, they – it's been around for a long time. So, and it's a really, it's one of those races, a bit like Outlaw, you know, which has got a really great following. Looks like it's a great race. Um, and now it's a challenge race. Yeah. So interesting time for them. I don't, I could, I could, I did a quick bit of research. I couldn't find if they had a pro race there or um, there was no mention on any of their social media or anything. Um, but I kind of thinking, does anybody want to go to Israel at the moment? Probably, possibly not. So we'll see what sort of a race they have over there. But first time round, it's caught, uh, under the Challenge brand. Okay, we had a, we had a World Cup race in Napier. So for those who don't remember, World Cup's kind of the next tier down in the Elite World Triathlon Series. Um, now, what happened with Hayden Wild? I, I saw on the news that his swim was absolutely shocking. I think he was like twenty eighth out of the water. What happened? So absolutely shocking swim. So yeah, World Cup race, sprint distance, not Olympic. Uh, ended up being a non-wetsuit swim, which is quite 
fairly unique for New Zealand. Um, we don't get that many non-wetsuit swims, but the rules for pros versus age groupers is quite different because I think the, the cutoff for pros was either 20 or 21 degrees, um, and for age groupers, I'm pretty sure it's 23. So non-wetsuit swim, and we can discuss and debate it, but basically he just had an absolute shocker, and he was, I think he said he was second to last out of the, out of the yeah. water, uh, and this is at a second-tier race, not at a top-tier race. Um, yeah. It was a shocker. Uh, I Actually, I was watching the foot coverage, and I thought I, he's got kind of quite a unique stroke, and I thought, that looks like Hayden Wild, like right at the back. I thought, no, it can't be. And it was. Uh, so then he basically had to time trial the bike and pull a pull a pack to you know do a full effort twenty k time trial against um, several other groups. Uh, some of them were functioning quite well. Some were not functioning quite so well. So he had to gas the bike, and then he did run you know really really well, yep. but just wasn't quite enough to get the win. Yeah, you know, he ran thirteen fifty two for um five yeah, k. So that's not mucking around. But the guy that won, um, you know, he still ran fourteen. 14-12, I think it was, um, to, to take the win. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, to be honest, I reckon it's probably a good thing. He'll, he'll go, shit, I'm not <laughs> invincible here, and yeah. I really have to bring my A game to every race when it comes to the swim. And it also goes to show the standard in triathlon now is so high. Um, yep. You know, you just, even guys like him and Alex G, when they're on form, they're going to be winning. But when they're not, you know, they're not uh, they're not unbeatable. Um, well, and yeah, again, this is second tier. Now, how good's the field other than him? And because obviously he's been Kiwi, so he's going to be at this race. But other than him, it's, yeah. you haven't got any real rock stars there, have you? There's some some good guys, but you know, not guys that are winning World Cup races. And the guy that did win, he has not really done much uh, in the past at all. But he, yeah. he's he's still a good athlete. He just hasn't really shown it at the top level. So yeah, there were some good athletes there, but it's um, far from being a World Championship field. But it's just hard to get it right on the day. You know, another guy in the field who I was talking about last week, um, Hugo Milner. I think he got. He got something like fourth at the European cross country champs or something along those lines. Like he is a top, top quality runner. Uh, and he came off in I think the same group as Hayden Wild and you know, 30 seconds behind. Um, couldn't couldn't run with him. Uh, and so, you know, getting it right in triathlon, getting your swim, your bike, and your run all together on the right day, especially in March. It's a pretty tricky proposition, and uh, I'd much rather he did a shit race here, and then he's uh, on fire come uh, come end of July time. It's a but, good question for you. What was the worst result with it that actually turned out to be a blessing in disguise for you in your career? Uh, I can't think of one in particular, but uh, yeah, it just gives you a good kick in the pants. Yeah, like um, you know, like that does happen, doesn't it? You know, you oh, have a result that's so terrible that it's kind of a, a, a bit of a, a self reflection period, which makes you actually yeah. lift your game. Yes, and I think it's a, it's a it's a positive because when he's on, you know he can just about make the front group, um, and so he's he'll just be going, yeah, I've I've got to be one hundred percent on or I'm out the back door. So let's let's wait and see. Abu Dhabi is coming up in a few weeks' time, which is the first round of the World Triathlon Series, and um, then we'll see how he goes there. Let's not remember, forget, sorry. Not that long ago at the Commonwealth Games, he was like second out of the water. Yeah. Uh, and that was against the Aussies as well. So he can do it, but he's got to do it consistently. Uh, just, for, just for the um, to, yeah, oh, so just in terms the of winners, um, yeah. So just boys, Callum McCuskey took the out the boys. Hayden was second, and Alberto 
Gonzalez was third. And then I haven't actually watched the females race. We watched all the relays. We watched the junior races. We watched the junior relay. Um, but I haven't watched the women's race. But yeah, Sophie Lim took it out. And then there was a sprint finish between second and third between Sophie Alden and Olivia Matthias. It wasn't the race you went up to, was it? No. 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 Tommy's going to. When's he going to his race? Oh, no, Tom, Tom was up there. He did the, the junior race. How'd he go? Um, he didn't have it was an amazing experience. He just didn't have the run that he's capable of doing. Like he had yeah. quite a poor run by his standards, and that's yeah. not me being nasty. No, it's no. like, yeah, yeah. He, he he can run a fifteen thirty fresh, which is bloody fast. Yeah, uh, and he ran like an eighteen thirty and just struggled. Just had a okay. rough day. But experience wise, cool. You're on TV. You're doing the whole. You know, get the special number. You've got the special. You know, you got to go line up on the blue carpet. Yeah, it's all very, very official. Yeah. So for the development of athletes, it's really good. Did they have it on TV? Did they? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so and he got plenty of coverage, and in, in terms of you could see him in there, and and so for them when they take that next step up, you know, it's not quite so daunting. And he's got another two years in that age group, so it was um, yeah, good experience, not such a good run. Interesting, but isn't it? You know, you need that development pathway, don't you? You need, you know, mm. you, kids need to have these experience of turning up, dealing with the nerves. You know, uh, mm. there's a lot more procedure in races like that. You know, just understanding all those little things that actually can be a little bit emotionally draining. Uh, but the more you do them, the less emotionally draining they get. Uh, so, what a wicked experience for him. Okay, John. Mm. Well, last week's discussion was uh, when you are racing, what do you not like to hear? Oh, what do you like to hear from spectators, and what do you not like to hear? Now, Richard Swaninoa wins because he has a picture he's got there's one way to respond to poor comments including from race commentators and he's you know he's doing a track race and obviously the commentator said something so he's turned around and given the finger and the photo is yeah. perfect timing yeah giving him the big finger right eh? yeah one that um, cold. that i've i've never had uh because we've got positives and negatives here yep. so gavin champion says uh you're looking sexy I don't think I've ever had anybody say to me, uh, you're looking right. sexy in a race, but uh, that would uh, perk things up a little bit, I imagine. Especially if the person's age is really hot. <laughs> that would definitely get your mojo up a bit. Uh, Hewitt Chin's got smile if you peed in your wetsuit. Uh, that always gets a smirk out of me, even if it's in the second half of the run. Tim Tansley says, nobody is making you do this. Cheer up, you miserable XXXXX. He mostly gets that from his family. Frank Lee's got you almost there, yeah, 20 miles left in the marathon. People think that's gold, don't they? It pretty. That, I, I think that's almost three quarters of the comments of people saying, you're yeah. almost there. You got this. You're almost there. And it's like, no, I haven't. I only just started, especially on a multi-lap course. Like I'm in New Zealand this weekend, I think it's a, a four-lap course. Yeah. And if someone said that to you when you're on like lap one, uh, I can understand that's uh, a bit disconcerting. Uh, Joe Coombe, what she likes is you're looking strong. What I don't like, you're, you're nearly there, especially when you're a few kilometers from the fin- when you're far from a few kilometers from the finish. Uh, Tim Swanson's got, uh, for some reason, I've always hated the sign, worst parade ever. I've never actually seen that. Oh, says, yeah, that's actually not a bad one, but he doesn't like it. Uh, then he's got, uh, I love it when spectators give me a cheer by my name. Nowadays, often your names are on your numbers, so and that is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, and I totally agree with that. Uh, Belle Fong, uh, the one thing she likes is you're looking amazing. I'm so proud of you. There's hot chips at the finish. Uh, James Thomas has got the nearly one there, but he's got it mile one of the run in the Canadian Ironman Canada when temperature was 34 degrees Celsius. Yeah, that's not good. 
Uh, Lynette and Tani says she likes good form while running. Uh, not like you're nearly there. There's pretty consistent uh, negativity towards the people that say you're nearly there. So if you're a spectator this weekend at Ironman New Zealand, maybe refrain from saying that. Gail High Five Harvey Haywood has got, I hate hearing I'm in fourth place. While doing the Challenge Wanaka bike, my current <laughs> husband told me I was in fourth. I spent the next 150K trying to hunt down the three women in front of me. Coming into T2, he informed me that I was still in fourth, but I could catch them on the run. It wasn't until I saw him laughing halfway through the, the turn run turn that I realized he was I was chasing ghosts. I now never listen to a thing he says. That's <laughs> sort of good strategy. Probably hasn't changed. <laughs> <laughs> she must have won, so it obviously worked out. Yeah, Ben Sala, what I like to hear are genuine positive ways of improving my form. I'm hearing you there, Ben. What I don't like to hear or feel is complete indifference. People who don't realize you're there, what you're doing, or worse, get in your way. Good old Cam Brown, the legend. Is Cam racing this weekend? No, he is not. And do we know why? Is it injury? Uh, no, I think he's he's done with uh, that. And yeah, he's also got a few things going on in terms of. Uh, he was in hospital for a bit, but uh, oh. if you follow him on Facebook, you'll be able to figure figure that one out. Okay. Well, he, he he's responded. He said, uh, "Proper correct splits. One person will tell you three minutes behind off in their watch, and the next person hundred meters up the road will say one thirty eight. That is true. Yes. Yeah. yeah. No. Totally. Uh, if you're going to give a split, make sure it's right. <laughs> uh, what else have we got here? You got Tom, Ward, Tom Ward's got... Oh, you go. You go. Christine McKinley says elbows in since Coach John is not close by to remind me. Yep. Uh, Tom Ward's got wearing number 69 at Ironman Lanzarote last year and initiated <laughs> some of the most interactive support uh, I've received from drunk English spectators in all my races. Great fun once I embrace your enthusiasm. Not sure I want it in every race. Casually running away from them help my splits. Yeah. Good. Uh, that's all I've got, I think. Yeah. That's oh, pretty good. Last one I'll do. Tanya Davenport. Other oh, what did she say? You're you're almost there on the marathon, soul destroying. And then she says uh, she doesn't like to hear this is a no walk zone. I walk whenever I damn well please. Have had injuries and I was not able to run, and so that really got up my goat. <laughs> Funny, uh, Vicky Jones got only a park run to go. I hate park runs. That's so hard. <laughs> uh, John, are you? Uh, I uh, was like, I think it was, was it Tim Swanson who said, no, Ben Pasala, what I like to hear are genuine positive ways of improving my form. So I, I quite like that. And that's something I do um, from a coaching point of view is, is trying to give people little technique tips, um, especially if I know them. If I don't know them, I'm generally not going to give somebody a technique tip. Um, probably the other things I like to hear is a bit of encouragement to catch the person who's maybe just in front of you, who you may be thinking about catching, but if someone sort of gives you that little egg, I'm going, come on, you can get that guy in front of you. He's only sort of 50 meters or hundred meters in front of you. Um, those are probably the things that I like to hear. Um, things that don't bother me, but it doesn't really get me going as the people just say, oh, come on, you've got this or just go. Uh, that sort of stuff doesn't, uh, doesn't really get me to get me to the end any quicker. Um, yeah. What about you, Devin? I don't think I can't recall anything ever really bothering me. Um, no, 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 you know, I, I, I just think it's really nice that people give you love, you know, when you're out there in the race and especially in that last part of the run, when you are just looking for anything and the fact that people were there just standing there cheering you along, it's a pretty special thing. Um, mm. And I don't really recall anyone ever really saying, 
Not, not, not from. Sometimes competitors can say things that can annoy me, mm-hmm. you know. But I remember, that, I remember once I did a race. This wasn't an Ironman, but I did a cycle race, and a guy, and it was kind of when I was early in my career, so I didn't really know what I was doing. I did a race, and I, I was obviously an okay cyclist because I was fit, but I got in a pack which was all cyclists, and I had a camelback on. And the guy just gave me shit about wearing a camel pack. And, mm. and I made sure I beat the shit out of him too, eh? Like, like I, <laughs> I, I destroyed him in the race. But it was just like, it was unnecessary, you know? Yeah. It was one of those ones. It, but generally speaking, you know, generally speaking, I actually really like, you know, I, I think it's pretty cool people go stand on the side. You should have found that guy at the finish going, hey, mate, uh, do you want to sip on my camel pack? I've got a little <laughs> no, bit of or something. That I definitely gold. Yeah, definitely should have. Yeah. Okay, this week's discussion is if the T100 series was going to put on one event, where should it be? And put on one more event, sorry. Where should it be and why? Try to think practical venue uh, that might also have a chance of being real. So if now, have they announced every location? They've got still a couple to go, haven't they? Still just got the last, last grand one. finale, yeah. which is, you know, probably going to be, they've said it's going to be the Middle East somewhere. So yeah, Saudi or somewhere like that, I guess. Yeah. So um, where do you think that should be? Okay, your quiz question now. We didn't answer last week's quiz question of, of Meredith Kessler's best Kona performance. And I'm going to say... Oh, we'll do that in the answers later on. I'm just re-bringing okay. that up because we, okay, we, so were watching, uh, we were watching Ironman New Zealand last week in our uh, bike trainer session we were doing on Thursday morning. And Meredith Kessler was in it. And I was like, hmm, I think we answered that in the podcast on Tuesday. Mm. So the question we'll ask again later in the show is, uh, what was Meredith Kessler's best Kona performance in her history of the race? Now, you got a random one this week. Where did this come from? I don't know. It was just random. I just came to me today. What is the furthest city from Kona? Because we, we always complain about having to go to Europe. Look at this out. Oh, no, I found a website that can do this. Okay. Um, so, because I thought oh, it's, it is really tough for us to go to Europe and stuff. It's a bloody long way. It takes us about 40 hours door to door. And I thought, what about going to Kona? Who gets, who's got the toughest draw when it comes to getting to Kona? Furthest, okay. the, what is the furthest city away from Kona? Okay, good luck in guessing that one, I tell you. Okay, now we've got an interview coming up with Sonia Bracegirdle. Here she is, a uh, legend that she is right now. Right, our team. Um, Today's guest is Sonia Bracegood, as you heard earlier in the show. Um, she's a Kiwi based over in Europe with her husband, Wout. Um, we interviewed her back in 2020, if you want to find out a bit more about her background and um, sort of pro racing and uh, sort of where she's come from. Pretty interesting background. And yeah, the episode was 707, which was back in 2020. And I remember when we interviewed um, Sonia, she was going to go off and do the coast to coast, but then managed to get sick just before the race and didn't get to do it, I don't think. And I'm kind of wondering if you were almost the first person in the world to get COVID because it was literally weeks <laughs> before COVID broke out. So what were, were you, were you yeah. uh, on ground zero? Were you, were you, were you the one that started spreading yeah it's a good question i um i don't think so i don't <laughs> think so but uh you would we'll never know yeah. <laughs> remain a mystery so what happened for you after after you know being in new zealand because literally you probably just left or i'm not sure if you left before covid yeah. kicked off. we closed in about march and i think we interviewed you in january and at that stage you were you know you had a bit of pro racing behind you um and then obviously everything shut down so what did what, what happened with life with you after that yeah no it was um well it was an interesting interesting sort of yeah i guess for a final visit to new zealand i have been back since then but it did take me three years to get back 
Um, but yeah, I think we left in in early March, so it was it was literally just as as everything was kind of shutting down. A lot of masks in in the airport and things like that. But no, sort of as yeah, as everybody kind of had the experience of, there wasn't wasn't much racing going along. Um, but the company that I was working for, um, that was a, it was a good time for us. So I, I I sort of basically moved into a into yeah full time kind of from from part time to full time and was was yeah dedicating my energy to that throughout COVID and. Um, we did. Uh, we did actually a significant financing round at the end of 2020, um, all virtually, which was mm. <laughs> quite a it was quite an interesting process to go through that without ever meeting the the, the sort of other side of the deal, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> and God. then, um, yeah, kind of one thing led to another a bit. The uh, company moved uh, kind of from the UK to the to the US and, and established a team over there and did a bit more fundraising. And so that, that actually, I continued on there um, until mid 2023. Yeah. Middle, middle of the way through last year. Um, yeah. for AI, I, I left that role. So it was a little bit of a transition period actually um, from COVID, you know, the, yeah, as you said, there wasn't much racing going on. So yeah. um, devoted a bit more time to biotech and it, yeah, it kind of extended on a bit further, but yeah. in the, in the best possible way. So for those that haven't uh, new listeners and haven't uh, didn't hear from Sonia last time, she had a third place finish at Ironman Netherlands. Um, I can't remember if uh, if you want to hear the story behind that, you can go back and uh, listen to that episode. And also a second at Ironman Taiwan, so pretty accomplished uh, long distance athlete. But the reason I wanted to get Sonia on today was to talk about uh, Mana Kia, and you guys will have heard on the show. It's a climb that I want to go and do later on this year. So to give you the stats on it, that's eighty five point five kilometers long, fifty six miles elevation gain is 4611 meters or 15000 feet um the key of the whole climb of the whole challenge is not so much the elevation gain that you do because 4000 meters gain is not it's it's a lot but it's the fact that you actually go to 4200 meters in elevation uh, so it's not going up and down and the hard section comes at the end as a real kick in the guts you've got about 12 kilometers at an average of 11.4% and the current king of the mountains actually this needs to be updated because I believe it got broken last week uh, it got broken at Christmas time and the fastest guy has done it in 4 hours 59 minutes and 4 seconds an average of 263 watts but I believe it got broken last week or the week before by the guy Philip Philip uh, Gomon, who previously held it. But the queen of the mountains, when I was doing all my research on this, is today's guest, Sonia Racegirl. Uh, so on Strava, there's only six women who have completed it. But what we've got to remember with Strava is if you'd want to get that particular segment, you have to follow the same route. So there may well have been lots of other females that have done it. But at the moment, Sonia still holds the record. <laughs> I must be pretty stoked about that. Yeah, well, it's it, this was a big surprise because it was a while ago, back in the 2017, <laughs> we did yeah. it. So, um, yeah, no, I was very surprised when you told me that. Um, I, I'm, I'm happy also you didn't read out my time because it's <laughs> it's not particularly fast. It was a lot of stopping. <laughs> yeah, no, I did I did look at your time, and um, yeah, it was actually the it's ballpark the sort of time in terms of your moving time that I had in mind that I'd be doing. So I'm sort of thinking moving time will be somewhere in the range of seven to seven and a half hours and with stops probably be sort of closer to eight um so something along those lines but yeah i, I thought you might have done it after ironman but i don't think you did because you did it in october time um so what what were you doing over in kona did you particularly did you go over there to watch ironman or uh, what were you doing over there <laughs> 
Yeah, so um, we actually, we did a house sit for three months in uh, just uh, just outside Honolulu, um, which was a fantastic mm. experience looking after uh, three cats there. Um, and it was actually just after I, I, I left a role in, in London. So a little bit of a um, yeah time off, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> um, and towards the end of that, um, yeah, period flew out, uh, flew over to Kona um, to to watch the Ironman, and then yeah, a few days, well, I think it was a week or so after that, we uh, we decided to do the Mauna Kea climb. Um, yeah, which was yeah, well, it's an epic. <laughs> what, what, what motivated you to do it? Just because, just it was there, and yeah, did you do it? Did you do any particular um, preparation or research? It was just like let's just go and do it. Um, I I would like to say I was well prepared, but. A um, little bit of a little bit of a theme there that I was not. Um, so yeah, no, literally because it was there. Um, I think we were just sort of uh, looking for some big epic rides to do in, the, in our last couple of weeks that we we had left in Hawaii, and um, and, and that was one of them. Um, yeah, I mean it's yeah it's such a dominating feature of the landscape on uh, on the Big Island, right? And um, yeah, just the idea of being able to, to to ride from sea level and you know do the whole dip your bikes in the water and then you know, yeah. take them up to over 4,000 meters. It's yeah. You, you can't do that anywhere else on earth. So no. I thought, you know, it was a good, a good as opportunity as any to, yeah. <laughs> to kind of, um, yeah. Yeah. Have that experience basically. So I was trying to explain to a couple of people the other night, um, what it's like in Hawaii. So for those of you that haven't been there, you're basically on one coast with a side where Iron Man is, it's just all volcanic rock. You know, the only bit of greenery is, you know, the resorts and people that, uh, have obviously somehow, created a bit of grass but then on the other side of the island it's basically just it's almost like rainforest and it just the Hilo which is on the other side of the island has I think it's the highest rainfall of any city anywhere in the world um, so you've got a very wet side and a very very dry side and you start down by uh, Waikoloa um, which is sort of about I don't know, 50 kilometers from Kona. And then you've got a very gentle sort of approach and then it starts getting steeper and steeper. And at the top it can often be, can be snowing. So kind of crazy to think you can go to Hawaii and, and it'd be snowing. So, um, so I know it was seven years ago, but what was your, what was your kind of your plan for the day? So we actually um, booked a, a, a guide, um, a guy called oh, nice. Alex who runs a company called Big Island Bike Tours. Um, and so, yeah, he helped us out with the with the logistics. So I, I did it. I did it with my my husband Walter, and um, yeah, it was great. I, I think, yeah, especially given that we didn't really do too much preparation in advance, <laughs> it yeah. was good to have someone there, you know, who who was kind of guiding us on, you know, what to expect and and uh, where the where the various you know hard parts are. Well, it's all hard, but you know, the yeah. harder parts are. Um, and he helped us, you know, with um, yeah yeah food and drink and, and all that sort of stuff as we went along as well um so that's that, so yeah that was the kind of main the main preparation was uh, was relying on alex for that um but yeah it was great i think we started sort of you know seven o'clock in the morning and um yeah headed up uh to to yeah kind of keep it as cool as possible for as long as possible um and you know we'd, we'd stop every now and then and, and refuel and and uh, sort of alex was there uh <laughs> leapfrogging um you know as we were riding on up and then actually, um, well, I suppose we'll get get more into the details. But we we also had a bike change, which was okay. uh, which was a great addition to the logistics too. So we had road bikes for the starting um, part on the on the tarmac, and then once it got to the gravel section, um, which is closer to the top, uh, we switched on t- over to mountain bikes, which definitely oh the the more more gears, good thing. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> especially no, in that bit. 
definitely part of my plan. Um, so, okay, so sort of if we sort of talk through the the climb as you go up, maybe and, and maybe recall your memories and and how it sort of felt. So, the first twenty k, you basically so you got to start in Waikoloa, and if anybody else is ever planning on doing this, make sure you look at the Strava segment if you want to be recorded on there because you do have to start at a particular spot, which is close to the water, and then you kind of make your way through. So, the first twenty k is pretty it's pretty cruisy. I've done that before. You're going up to the Mamalahoa Highway. I presume things are feeling okay at that stage and a pretty gentle start to the day yeah that's certainly how I remember it and um you know with the kind of yeah sunrise over the mountain you got yeah it's beautiful and and we actually I I think you can get potentially a bit unlucky with the wind direction there um Mm -hmm. so you know if you have a block headwind I think it's going to be a less less pleasurable start to the day but no I, I I recall that I think we even maybe had a slight tailwind there um you know you just sort of slowly but steadily making your way up nothing to you know nothing no mashing of the gears just nice sitting spinning along nicely um nothing nothing too hard so it is a lovely it's a lovely start to the day for sure <laughs> you, you are right because the i remember one year we were out there on a camp and we went up that particular climb and when you get to the top you can turn left and that takes you to a place called uh, Waimea and also then on up to Hilo and i remember i think it was almost the first or second camp we had there uh, we got the full experience of the Hawaii winds and it was a blockhead wind. And honestly, it was like a maybe a 10 mile, 15 sort of K stretch. And I reckon it took some people, you know, over an hour to do that stretch of roads. So yeah, oh, fingers crossed for a uh, decent, yeah. decent bit of wind. Yeah, so then, then you sure. basically, you, you sort of make your way up, you go past um, Waikoloa Village. So it's always confusing when you go to Hawaii, you have Waikoloa, which is the sort of all the resorts and then about, I don't know, 10, 10, 15k up the hill, you've got Waikoloa Village, which I think is where uh, a lot of the locals stay, and there's a few golf courses and stuff, and then you get up to the the, hi- the sort of highway, and then the next stretch, you're kind of going up to the towards Hilo, and you're kind of getting to the the, the sort of summit or the sad, saddle road. Do, do you remember much about that section? Um, I don't recall too much about that. I, only that, um, you know, I kind of jogged my memory a little bit with the photos and things like that. But again, I, I remember that being quite, you, you, you're mm-hmm. kind of climbing a little bit more, you know, the gradient is, is sort of ramping up, but again, it's, it's, you know, in a, in a pleasant kind of conversational way. Yeah. Um, and it's still, you know, I think early enough in the journey that it, it feels like, um, you know, all quite achievable at that point yeah. <laughs> or, or yeah. you know, at the, at that stage up to the, um, up to the point of the turnoff to the uh, to the visitor center. So um, only good memories from that one. At least no negative memories that are kind of uh, yeah. you know um, I, I guess taking over all the positive ones. <laughs> so when you when you get to the saddle, you've basically done about sixty five k's of eighty nine. So you've done about seventy five percent of the distance. Um, but you're only at 1,900 metres, so you're less than halfway of the elevation, and that's when it starts to get uh, interesting. So um, when I was looking at the maps, the next 10 kilometres, you're averaging 8.1%, and I'm not quite sure if the visitor centre's there um, when you sort of turn off and you do that first section. So once you make that turn off, I guess that's when it starts starts to feel a bit more real. Oh yeah. So I, I, that's, that's, I think the bit that I remember being the worst. Right. Um, and, and, and Walter remembers the later part being the worst. And I think that then the balance is a little bit dependent on how you deal with altitude at the, on the higher sections, but um, that road section, it's, it's, it's quite rolling. And there are some, you know, some bits in there that are really steep ramps and yeah. we were still on, on the road bikes and, and you're kind of, 
you know, and they're really mashing away in the smallest gear. And it, it, I think also from memory, the road kind of rises up above you. So you, you have this, uh. you know, looming kind of mountain ahead of you as well. So I think, you know, there's that psychological component that adds to the, yeah, a bit of physical misery of some of the gradients you have to deal with in, in, in that section too. And so, yeah, for me, I think that was that was the hardest part was from the the the, the turn off from the highway to the to the visitor center, which is pretty much where the where the gravel section starts. Yeah, God. Um, <laughs> and do you remember how it was? I've been up at that saddle a couple of times. I imagine at that point it's not insanely hot. No, you've got um, yeah, we 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 certainly had. I think by that stage, you put you know gilets on, and and we're getting kind of out the arm warmers ready ready for higher up as well. And particularly if the wind, you know, later in the if you're later in the day by there, the um the wind is starting to pick up a little bit. So it's it's fresh. It's it definitely it definitely doesn't feel like you know like Kona feels anymore. <laughs> it yeah. feels like you're 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 entered a different kind of climactic zone by then. Yeah, and then one of the things people, if you're ever thinking of doing this yourself, is factoring in. Um, yeah, you you did the right thing. You've got a guide and stuff with you. But in, in terms of any little things, little logistic things that you maybe think people need to be aware of at that point, because once you get to the visitor center, there's a few rules and regulations. I'm not sure if you know about them or not, because you might have just ridden straight through. Um, but do you recall anything about that? Oh, I know. I remember seeing some signs. They definitely, it's quite restricted, isn't it? In terms of, you know, the weather conditions and where you're allowed past that point of the visitor center. And, um, you know, is there even a limit on the number of people each day or something like that as well? I'm pretty positive that the first thing is, um, I don't think you're allowed higher vehicles to go above that point, um, above to the visitor Mm. center. So that's one thing people have to be aware of. And I also believe that they now enforce, you must have a four by four um, to to go to that section. So so those are things probably people need to be aware of if if you're planning this. So yeah, next comes the interesting part. It's when you hit the the gravel and, um, and yeah, I've, I've read accounts of pro cyclists doing it and sticking with their road bikes and then they have to actually walk their road bikes so you did the right thing in terms of a bike swap i don't think it's considered frowned upon or cheating or anything like that um so yeah talk us through the 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 gravel section what it's like and what people could kind of compare it against (laughs) oh so for it's steep it it is really like it's steep gravel and it's mostly fairly well graded but I I do recall a couple of sections where um I'm not sure if you know when we did it it had been kind of you know recently um re-graveled basically and it wasn't particularly well graded or if it was you know bits where cars had you know sort of spun out a little bit and it just had made these piles of gravel I'll just say my 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 goal for that section um was not to walk um and I came very close to it but I did not have to walk so that that I considered a win <laughs> yeah gosh. Um, which uh yeah kind of illustrates as well just just how steep it is in some parts you really you know you just gear right down and 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 just got to keep moving as much as possible I think as well you know you're at the point where um if you know yeah if altitude is a concern um then that's it really starts to kick in in that in that gravel section uh and that's when you really sort of start feeling feeling those initial effects of of the altitude because um yeah you must be you're well i guess well over two thousand meters by then um so yeah and you've come from sea level (laughs) yeah straight from sea level (laughs) and uh 
did you during that section you know uh, i know it's steep but i don't know whether it's consistently steep i know you said you didn't walk at all and that was a goal and that's a, definitely a goal i've got as well did you have any stops and if so i imagine you have to do that pretty strategically in terms of being able to get going again yeah yeah i think um i think there are a few sections it, it, it's not it's relatively consistent but there are are a few sections where you can kind of put your foot down and then you know, you can be confident you're going to be able to keep keep going again. Um, yeah. So I think we um, I think we planned a few stops just for you know refueling and a little bit of the um, uh, I, I guess uh, you know keeping the spirits up a morale check I'll call it. Yeah. <laughs> so um, uh, yeah, I, I I I think though as well by that stage I just kind of wanted to um, you know knock it off really. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so. Um, I was I was kind of trying to fuel on the go as as much as possible, really, and and just keep the momentum going and keep keep plugging away and um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you 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 know you're a bloody good cyclist. Were you, were you pretty much on your limit, just turning oh, one pedal stroke? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's 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 by far and away it's the hardest thing I've ever done on a bike. Um, I think it's probably close to the hardest thing I've ever done. Full stop. It's. Yeah, it's just it's brutal, and and I, I would in the in this situation, I'm not sure how useful it is for other things, but I, um, relatively good on the altitude, and that that was a complete unknown for me going into it. Um, yeah. You know, been up at up at those altitudes before, but not having come straight from sea level and not doing something so so strenuous, basically. Um, so. I was, yeah, I guess grateful for. I, I think it's a little bit of a genetic lottery, basically yeah, having, yeah. you know, having kind of being able to to, to cope with that. Um, because I think, um, yeah, it's not always the case, and and you're then in just another. It's another world of suffering if you're you're having to deal with a bit of the, the effects of the altitude as well. That that's my concern, to be honest. I'm not the best at altitude, and that's my, my I've done Everesting, so I know I can I can handle the the climb, and I know I can handle the gradient. But the altitude is my concern. How about uh, Wout, your husband? He was obviously going up as well. Um, were his experiences uh, contrast to yours, or or uh, already similar? Um, I think we we had shared experiences up to the um up to the point of the uh, the turn off to the visitor center. Um, and actually we rode together up until about that point. And then, um, he he found the altitude more, more challenging than I did. So, um, yeah, I, I, we went on ahead basically at, at, yeah, at that point. Um, cause it, yeah, it does really, um, you know, yeah, it's like breathing through a straw, right? Like, uh, yeah, yeah, it can be really, really tough. Yeah. Um, and so you obviously you've got this long section of reasonably long section of gravel and then for some weird reason, then it turns to seal again towards the end. Yeah. Yeah. That's um, I, I would say that the tar seal section at the end is, is sort of like you think you kind of you've got there and you're like, yes, the end is in sight. Um, but you are by that point very high. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it is longer than you think and also a bit steeper than you think because i i wonder if one of the reasons they actually sealed that section is because it's one of the you know steeper kind of sections on the mountain from memory um and so i i wonder if it was just you know it was just too much to be able to you know get people up through that section to um to, to to the top if it were if it were all gravel so um it's still tough it does it, it, you know, you, yeah, you have this, yes, I've made it, but you really haven't made it. So it's a little bit of the psychological trickery there as well. Yeah. Yeah. And it's getting, getting cold. Um, I mean, we had a beautiful day, super clear, but um, it was pretty windy 
um, by the time we were up at up at that altitude. And um, yeah, we were sort of you know full full jackets and and, and that kind of thing by that stage. I think that's a good point. And uh, unfortunately, I only have a one-day window to do it. So it's on a particular day. It's either that day or it's not happening. Um, and I would encourage people to, if they do want to try this, to give yourself a couple of days window. So later on the, uh, in the year, we're going to Mont Ventoux. And when we go there, you can have sometimes have similar experiences where the weather can put you off. And I've allowed a two-day window there. But in this case, it's one day do it or don't um, because we're flying out the next morning so um, cool so yeah. yeah I have heard that the, the top section a couple of the corners are just insanely steep um, mm. what was the, the feeling like when you got to the very top oh it's exhausting yeah. <laughs> yeah no like I jubilant for sure but um, I think the yeah the over, the overwhelming feeling was was a bit cold by that stage and just just pure exhaustion um yeah, it was a very, it was a very taxing day on the bike. <laughs> what sort of shape were you in? Because I know it was before you sort of had your little foray into pro racing. Um, but I think yeah. you were you were always pretty fit in terms of doing trail running and all that sort of stuff. So you know, you said it was really hard, but were you pretty fit at the time? No. <laughs> <laughs> right, there we go. You're giving me, you're giving me a sense no. of hope here. I'm like, there's all this dread, and I'm like, oh, you weren't that fit. Maybe I've got a chance. No, unfortunately, I'd come off a bit of, you know, extended sort of, um, yeah, three or so months break-ish where I hadn't yeah. been doing very much and certainly very little cycling. Um, so for whatever reason, I thought this will get me back into shape. This is yeah. great. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, um, I mean, I suppose it did in some way. It's a little bit of an extreme way to uh, to kind of go after fitness, but um, <laughs> yeah, maybe because of some good memories, I guess. Now, it seems bizarre to me and to probably a lot of people that this is probably one climb where you climb to the top and a lot of people don't actually do the descent, which I just find crazy because yeah. every other every other time I've gone any big mountain in the world, it's like, I'm going to the top, I'm going down. But it seems to me a lot of people don't do the descent, mainly because you're going down shingle and it's so cold. So did you guys jump in the in the van and uh, get a lift down? We did. Yeah. Yeah, we did. I... I, I... I think we we considered it because the weather was kind of good enough, but I was I was so cold by the end. Um, mm. And even after you know, sort of sitting in the car um, waiting waiting for Walter to summit as well, it just um, you know had warmed up a little bit, but not enough to kind of make that you know an enjoyable yeah <laughs> mm. route down the mountain. And yeah, as you said, like uh, you know, you, you're obviously fine on the on the tarsial sections for the for the most part, but when you hit hit the gravel, then it's it's steep enough to be sketchy if you carry too much speed into some of the corners. And yeah, with all the exhaustion as well, um, kind of yeah. not really worth it. I don't, yeah, I don't think the enjoyment um, factor is high enough to to kind of yeah yeah take the risk of, of going downhill after a climb like that. Yeah, I'm, con I'm contemplating going down from the visitor center just because I just <laughs> like I hope they want to get get a, get a bit of a roll down as well. So thinking about it anyway. Okay. Um. So about made it as well. Yeah, he did. Yeah, okay. yeah. We got some some great photos of us on the top with our you know lifting our bikes in the air and all of that. So um, yeah, yeah, definitely one 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 for the ages for sure. <laughs> And I've not been up there before. One one time we did go to the uh, visitor centre to try to do stargazing, and it was the one day of the year where the clouds decided to come in. Um, but I imagine the views up there, you, you guys had a clear day, must be uh, pretty spectacular. Oh, it's phenomenal. And you just you just think as well, like you're kind of looking over this 
it's like Martian kind of landscape with all these these red cones and um yeah with all the you know the astronomy kind of um yeah buildings and stuff up there as well it's quite otherworldly um mm. you can kind of look down and see the see the you know the Kona coastline and and then all the kind of yeah green the green more rainforested areas and you, you kind of really get a sense of that that contrast and just um you know the yeah the big island is a yeah it's just such an intriguing and and um yeah unique place and you, you do really get a good sense of that from up there nice uh, awesome uh, any other sort of tips or advice you'd give give to people if they if they do want to give it a go oh i think uh yeah lots of fuel lots of fluid start early enough in the morning <laughs> mm. um and um yeah kind of make sure to yeah be kind on yourself and take lots of breaks as well going up um it is you know especially in those those higher regions where you you are dealing with the altitude as well um yeah just it's kind of yeah it's all about the journey right <laughs> with that yeah. one and you know it's nice to get to the destination but if you can try it enjoy it as much as possible on the way up that's always a good thing <laughs> yeah exactly um now i know you haven't didn't really since we spoke in 2020 you didn't really do any sort of pro racing after that you know through covid and you said you were working and so on but i did notice on the old uh, the old instagram it looked like you did some extreme try um last season and i think you probably won oh, it, i so, did which uh which race yeah. was that? You know, <laughs> just just give us a quick summary about that race yeah, sure. No, it's called um, Forex Man, and it's um, part of the X-Try World Series, so part of the, the series that Norse, Norseman is kind of part of as well. Um, that was in December last year um, in a, you know, again, consistent fashion. Probably did it with a little little, little undercooked. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but that was, no, that was, that was a, speaking of brutal experiences, that was also a pretty brutal experience. I think yeah, just to, to kind of give a, yeah, and the indication the the ride, um, you know, 175k or something like that, but then 3,800 um, elevation, so pretty pretty solid. And it took me seven hours. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it was a really a really big day out, and then you have a have a marathon that includes a um, yeah 1,200 meters of, of of climbing. We kind of just pretty much go straight up for the last 16 or so k. So. Um, yeah, definitely lived up to the billing of being an extreme triathlon. Really, like interesting and fascinating part of part of Brazil as well. So overall, a great trip. Um, and um, yeah, it was awesome, awesome to win that one, <laughs> yeah. uh, which meant I qualified for Northman uh, this year. So oh, nice. um, I'm all all kind of entered for that in uh, in August, I guess it is. Um, yeah. And then yeah, a little bit of other. I actually got my pro license back last year, or I requalified oh, nice. for it, I should say. Um, yeah. So looking to do Roth and maybe another another other couple of races. So we'll see, we'll see how we go. <laughs> oh, we're going to miss you not in Roth this year, but I'm just uh, I'm going to be there next year. So um, keep going. So so the pro fire the the fire is still burning there a little bit to to race in the pro ranks. I I mean I think it's it, it it's, for me it's always in combination with uh, there's a few other things going on. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm also doing a, as well as I'm, I'm still still working um, in in biotech, but in a in, in a sort of di- different capacity now, and um, also actually doing a part time degree at the same time. So yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's uh, I don't quite have um, yeah all my time to devote to it training and stuff, I guess. But um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's within oh. within within that broader context excellent and if people want to follow you are you very active on socials and things like that if people want to follow any of your adventures averagely active i would say but <laughs> yeah. uh, but i'm on but mostly on instagram so it's, it's sonia.kiwi excellent. Um, on instagram 
Fantastic. Oh, you've given me plenty of food to thought. This this weekend, actually, I've got to decide. I'm due to do a, a, a race, which is a little sprint triathlon, which has been changed to a duathlon that doesn't excite me quite as much. Or I've just found out that somebody else is going to be Everesting on Saturday. So I'm going to be weighing up. Ooh. Do I go do a little sprint triathlon on Friday? Or do I go, I'm not doing an Everest, but uh, maybe do I go and do a 4,000 metre sort of effort on, uh, on, on Saturday, which probably is a slightly more sensible preparation for, uh, for going over to Mauna Kea. So um, we'll, see, we'll see what the weekend brings. Awesome. Thanks so much for your time. Um, enjoyed hearing about it. No Guys, if you want to go and uh, check out the Mauna Kea climb, I still actually have a few spaces on the Kona camp if anybody wants to come over. Myself and Albert Boyce are doing it on Monday, the 70.3 races on Saturday, which I'm only going to do at about 85% because I, I know that otherwise I will not get up Mauna Kea. Um, but I'm looking forward to it. So you guys will hear about my experiences come uh, the start of June. So Sonia, thanks so much for your time. Yeah, no worries. Thanks for having me on. Okay, so that was the interview with Sonia. Um, that will be, we've done this part here before we've done the interview, so I'm sure it's very great. So you want to check out anything Sonia does, I'll put a link to her work in the show notes. Okay, John, let's get into John's oh, history lesson. History lesson. Oh, we should have done some work on this, I tell you. Uh, so I'm in New Zealand 40 years ago. Now, was it 40 years? Because we must have missed a couple through COVID, did we? Uh, um, I don't think we did. They caught one up. No, I don't think we did. No, we did because no, we did because I trained a guy to do it. Yeah, but that was they had it, it was supposed to be in March and then they pushed it to oh, December. Okay, so it'll be 40, so 40 I'm, editions. I'm pretty sure we have had 40 editions. Okay. So this is the 40, they're, they're marketing it as the 40th anniversary. So it's been 40 years at least. Pretty sure yep. there's been 40 editions. So and I haven't heavily fact checked this. Um, I because uh, partly because of there isn't not a lot of history on a lot of events and it's quite hard to find. Uh, so I asked Melina a couple of questions and he helped out. But uh, yeah, this is not a criticism of Ironman New Zealand because I remember back in the day before we had all this generic Ironman website where everything is uh, centralised, when it used to be ironman.co.nz for the URL, they did have a, a separate section sort of on the history of the event and all the past winners and so on. Now, you can't bloody find all that, and I'll go into that a little bit more. So I'm a bit disappointed about that. But Ironman New Zealand is the second longest running Ironman in the world, so only superseded by uh, Ironman Hawaii. Interesting facts was it was the first ever Ironman race to offer qualifying spots for Hawaii. Um, wow. So, yeah, so that was that's pretty cool for us. Originally, the race was in Auckland, uh, started in 1985. The first triathlons in New Zealand were the Les Mills Triathlon. There we go. Yep. Les Mills is where Bevan works. Yep, there you go. We I started saw, it all. I saw in the paper this morning that... Um, that Les Mills uh, gave lots of money to the Green Party in the last election. To oh, no, Philip Mills. Close, close yeah, he, oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Philip, he's a big greenie. Yeah, good on yeah, him. Yeah. Uh, first first race drew 380 athletes, which is actually probably more than what I would have expected. Um, the old course up in Auckland was a really honest course. The swim was often really choppy, so it was in the uh, Waitemata Harbour and um, – yeah, it was whenever I remember watching it as a kid and yeah, it always seemed it was not a flat swim, quite challenging. It was held at St. Helier's Beach, um, it had a particularly hilly bike course and the run got changed quite a bit over the years. In the latter years in Auckland, it was uh, a lot flatter, sort of just went around the waterfront. But in the in prior years, uh, it definitely was a lot hillier. So hilly bike 
and definitely a lumpy run, um, but which did change over the years. So 1985 was the first edition. Back then, the first couple of years, it was held over approximately a 3K swim, 160K bike and 30K run. It might have been a, a two-mile swim, 100-mile bike and 20-mile run. Do we know so why? Sort of a, why didn't go with the Kona? Was it? I think it was exactly for the reason that they wanted to have a Kona to be the crown jewel and for this to be just a little bit different. Yeah. Um, But they changed their tune on that after a couple of years because in 1988, then it changed to the full iron distance because then they kind of created this world series event with Kona being the pinnacle. But then you had, you know, the other races around the world, which were probably, New Zealand, Japan, Germany, uh, Lanzarote, and Australia, and I think that was probably probably about it. Um, it's, it's really interesting, John. Just just as you're going here, I wonder why New Zealand was first. Oh, I think we were pioneers in the sport of triathlon. I think you know we were a little bit ahead of the game. Because um, I suppose as you say, because the Leeds Mills Triathlon, there's photos of Hellemans doing it, um, hmm. and. You know, it would have been, you know, like, that would have been a big thing because Les Mills was a pretty decent known gym at that time. Um, mm. So it, it wouldn't have been a small, you know, 200 people doing a race kind of thing. It probably would have, well, I don't know, but I imagine it was quite big. In 79, that's early mm. in triathlon. Yeah, it is. Yes. Yeah, so um, I just think we were ahead of it. And, and there would have been, and I don't know who it is, but there would have been one or two really motivated people to try to make it happen. That's all it takes. We've had the world champs, the world Olympic distance champs in New Zealand um, twice in Wellington and Queenstown. And it's largely been down to just one, two or three people that have gone, we want to make this happen. And they've got the right connections and they make it happen. So I'm sure there was one person that I don't know who that is that just wanted to make it happen. And it may be, it may have been a connection also with potentially IMG back there. That's just sort of a stab in the dark. Okay. But yes, in 1988, um, they fell in line. It became an iron distance race. And then 1990, uh, we had the famous sprint finish between Ken Gla and Pauli Kudu. And when I did a search for it today, I thought <laughs> I put 1990 Ironman New Zealand finish and came up on youtube and who had put it up there bevan james isles and I'm at 52, the, views. i know you should be marketing well, there was ads on there when i bloody watched it before so you should have been getting a bit of that the oh, footage what? you put up there is absolutely pitiful it's great that you did it but i couldn't see a thing it's so pixelated i don't know where would you get it from i don't know i don't know where i would have got it from to be honest i i i don't know I really don't know. It's, yeah, it's, I'm watching it's it now. Really it's poor very footage. Pixelated. Um, but the finish was amazing. I still distinctly remember it as well. Um, go and watch Bevan's footage. But basically, back then, the crowds are just all over the place. There's no barriers. And uh, Pauli Kuru gets lost. And it is a proper sprint finish. But then they get separated. And then Pauli Kuru jumps out of the crowd and, and wins it. It's, it looks um, like King Glass coming to the finish line. That's, I'm watching it right now. So King Glass sprinting the finish line. They're sprinting together. And then Pauli, yeah, gets lost in the crowd, doesn't he? And he comes out and then just pops him on the finish oh. line. Yeah, and uh, Ken Glau was gracious in defeat. He said, you know, I had my opportunities to win the race. I didn't take them. So, yeah, yeah, tough titties on me. Anyway, so that was 1990, very memorable moment. In 1999, the event moved to Topo, um, and it's been there ever since. 
The course has had some changes a little bit over the years, but nothing really significant. You know, you still swim in the same lake this year, and and uh, recently they've they've moved the location. You're about sort of 500 meters down the lake and a different transition area. But the bike has had some tweaks, but it's kind of largely the same. Um, and the run has always just been you know laps of the lake. You know, either two laps or three laps or four laps. So hasn't had any major changes. Um, and yeah, in terms of people who have dominated Ironman New Zealand, there have been people who've got multiple victories. Uh, and I've got to say, hats off to Torsten, because he takes his results all the way back to 1999. But prior to that, I couldn't really find much. Um, and I know off the top of my head a few other people, but some of the dominators we've had on the women's side, Erin Baker had multiple wins, but I couldn't find how many she had. Jan Wanklin definitely uh, won it a couple of times, I believe. Lisa Bentley was a two-times winner, so she was from Canada. But then the ones who really have crushed it is Joe Lorne won it seven times, yeah. and she won six in a row. Uh, which is pretty bloody impressive. Um, on the boys' side of it, Ken Glar was an extremely regular fixture. He's been there just about every flipping year they've had the event. Uh, he won it. Uh, Ken Glar, um, uh, he's, he, I think he's lost his streak potentially. Not quite sure. Yep. But anyway, he's uh, won it twice and he was on the podium lots of times. Uh, Melina won the very first uh, edition back in 19. 19- 85, uh, and he won it by 17 minutes. And Michelle Gammy won the female side of it. And then, but the big one, Scott Tinley came over quite regularly, and I think he won it once. And I think Ray Browning might have won yep. it once as well. And then Cameron Brown, though, he won it 12 times. Unbelievable. Uh, yeah. And, Unbelievable. How impressive. Like 12 years. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't even in a row. You know, like he won 12. Um, but like, that won't even be done again, will it? Uh, you wouldn't have think so. The only times when you say it's not in a row, it kind of almost is because there was, a, there was one that was a seventy point three, wasn't there? Yeah, there and was that, two. Yeah. Uh, so there was two thousand six when Ainar uh, Johansson won that. He was from Estonia, and that was like a. It wasn't even a triathlon. That was a duathlon. I remember being up there for that. I wasn't competing. Uh, so he lost out on that one. And then 2012, Marie Nolvan Holnacker took it out as well. I can't remember what happened there, but it was a half Ironman or a duathlon. Um, so yeah, he just crushed it just year after year after year. And he it's not like he had, he usually only had a couple of people he had to beat, but some of them were like former world champions and stuff. Like he had to beat some pretty decent people over the years. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, the field was never that deep, but it was kind of like every year two or three guys would come to really challenge him. And there mm. was some, you know, top the Kona guys there who are of that level. And, yeah. it, it, mate, I can't see that ever. I, I think that can't be broken. I don't see the future, especially with the way the racing is going nowadays, where one person will win the same Ironman 12 times. I just can't see it happening. You, you, wouldn't, uh, you wouldn't think so. You know, people are going to go and do the T100 and things like yeah. that. So it just, it's just not going to be as much focus on a, on a particular what event. What a legend. So, but when I think about other athletes that have done, not 12, but they've done a lot, like Marino van Holnacker, he had a very long streak in Ironman Austria and Freddie Van Leer had a very, very long streak in at Ironman Nice. I couldn't think of any females off the top of my head that um, outside of say Joe Lorne, who'd won like New Zealand six times in a row, uh, who'd had some really big streaks. I'm sure there are. It was just off the top of my head. I couldn't think of any. Yeah, well, you, so there you, you go. You, you've that's got another it. podcast that's coming out. Oh yeah. So there's a couple of Kiwi guys, Brian Ashby um, and... Guy. 
Cameron Harper. Um, they both do commentary at Ironman New Zealand. Um, they've got a show and they're actually doing you know a whole series on the history of Ironman New Zealand, interviewing past winners. So if you want to check that out, it's called the Old School Try Show. You can find it on Facebook or on YouTube, but go and check them out. They're both great guys and they're just interviewing lots of the past winners of Ironman New Zealand. So uh, go and uh, check them out. Ryan Ashby is one of the nicest guys you meet. Now, what's really interesting, going back to my old YouTube channel, John, so yep. I have 52,000 views for that, but I put Iron War up. I think I was the first person mm-hmm. to put the Iron War on YouTube. And it was mm-hmm. back in the days when YouTube would only let you do 10-minute slots. So it's mm-hmm. broken into six different parts. Um, and now it's had over 157,000 views. Nice. Yeah, so there you go. So yeah. Hopefully the pixelation is not quite as bad on that <laughs> Let's see what I'll do. Oh, no, it, it, yeah, it's slightly better, but it's still pretty rough. But it's pretty old. Yeah. I suppose I'm always 89. So basically, you know, one year before that sprint finish. Okay, here you go. I put that up 17 years ago <laughs> on YouTube. Nice. Creep. It's good old Sam Posey was the announcer on NBC. Okay, John, uh, I think uh, I think we're going to be all right for time, but I don't think we need to do yes, our high mate. fives. So let's go to Winger of the Week. Of the week. I'm going number 38. Random.org has given me number 38. So last week on our Strava page where you need to join our I Am Talk Strava group if you want to be part of that. We've got over a 1,000 people on there. And if you get yourself inside the top 100, you get a chance to be the wanger of the week. And this week it is Craig Kimpton. He had 15 hours and four minutes of training, two hours 26 of swimming, eight hours 51 of cycling, and three hours and 46 of running. 38th place, very respectable. Nice work, Mm -hmm. Craig Kimpton. And where's Craig from? From Australia. From Australia, Western Australia. And yeah, nice consistent consistent year-round training. He would have done Ironman Western Australia because he's got this really consistent block all the way through to December and then like three weeks of just about nothing, which I'm assuming would have been after Ironman Western Australia, which is at the start of December. But then he's been back in the game and pretty consistent. His biggest bike ride that he's ever done is 203 kilometers. Can't get into the hills too much. The biggest climb he's ever done is only 590 meters. And if we look at his last four weeks, he's been averaging three runs per week for the last four weeks. Um, and he's been averaging three swims per week over the last few weeks. So, Craig, you're crushing it. Let's see where his longest bike ride he ever did was 203.7 kilometers. And it's all sort of up behind Perth. Never been to Perth. You've been to Perth? Yes, but I was only for like two days doing work, so I kind of flew in, went to my mm. hotel, did a presentation at some conference venue and flew out. I did do a walk, and it was a beautiful night. It's obviously a hot place, but um, I remember walking along, there was a beautiful kind of waterfront, and it was quite stunning, but other than that, I don't nice. have a huge recollection. John, just go back to Ironman New Zealand. What's your biggest memory of Ironman New Zealand? Well, I've done it three times, uh, and I've had one good result, one average result, and one poor. I don't think I've done it more than three. I've either done it three or four. Uh, I think, I think I've Yeah, my main memories are I've had to have two very fast finishes there, which were I haven't done anywhere else. One year was to get 10th place, and 10th was money. 11th was nothing. And I uh, had Brent Sheldrake closing in on me. Well, I, I passed him, and then he didn't drop back too far. <laughs> and I, I was literally turned 
into the finishing shoots of a nine man New Zealand, you kind of run up this road past some shops and then you kind of pull almost a U-turn, but not it's different, slightly different this year, I think. And then you've got, you know, maybe a, a long finishing shoot across this park that's about 150, 200 meters or so. And uh and it gives you a good chance to sort of turn around and check who's coming. And and I see him there, I was like, oh my God. So I had to just gas it. I think I held him off by about 10 seconds. Uh and then the other one, which I've probably talked about many times before, is uh Paul O'Doherty, the Irish fella, yeah, I think it was that's right. Australia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And pretty much a similar thing happened there. I turned around, he's there, and I'm in the finishing shoot, and I'm like, oh my God. And just had to rip it down there as well for that one. So and both chance both times I, I held on. Um he but Paul, to be fair, had gassed me a few weeks earlier at the 70 point. That's right, Auckland. yeah. It was it was a bit so, of contra- uh, it was a bit of a rivalry happening on the show, I remember. Yeah, that was that was Many moons ago. Am I right? Was Many he a redhead Irish guy? Tall or redhead Irish guy? He was tall. I don't think he was redhead, but he okay. was definitely a very tall, skinny dude. Yeah. My mine would be mine would be obviously on a personal level was qualifying for Kona. because uh, I did my first Ironman in New Zealand. I think I just went under eleven hours and it was a bit of a disaster. And then the next year I went back and I really wanted to qualify. And I think I did about nine forty six or something like that. And um I I got I think I got six of my age group and they had four slots and I remember just going the next day because you had to you had to wait till the next day back in those days it's probably not mm. like that now is it or is it sort of no, like the next day yeah, yeah so you go the next day and you had to you go and you get your slot I remember it was just such a cool moment uh, and then the next year I went back and winning my age group that was pretty cool because I didn't want to go back to Kona but just to kind of you know, to win your age group was pretty cool. And then the last year I did it, I blew up, and you kind of blew up as well. And you oh, said yeah, that to was me, "Yeah, we both had bad days." <laughs> and yours was just a bit worse than mine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and really, it was kind of like what was cool around that time for both of us is that you were doing the epic camps before them, so there was kind of a camaraderie out on the race as well. You know, for the people you've been doing the epic camps with, uh, and it was always one of the beauties of those epic camps because. Basically, most people on the Epic Camp were aiming to do Ironman New Zealand. And so mm-hmm. even though you and I would tend to be at the faster end of the Epic Camps, you kind of had the other athletes out there on the day. And, yeah, it was, mm-hmm. you know, you kind of – the memories of those races, I always think the memories of the races are kind of like the days you had good, the days you had bad. Definitely my family were the most amazing supporters. And so mm-hmm. seeing my family out in the course was always really special. But it, and just seeing the other Epic Camp was, was pretty awesome. So yeah. for those who have done the race over the years, you're, you're definitely a part of the history, and that's pretty bloody cool. Uh, okay, John, let's go into questions and answers. Now, we did get a one comment here from Roland Young, and he's just saying we're talking about um, last week's discussion. He's got, um, good morning. He's got the DRS alternative. Just provide oh, yep. a Zarf drone on the bike, allowing someone to go in – uh, go all out to catch the person in front, knowing that they can draft if they can catch the person whilst in the zone. Ideally, it would be a really long straight. So if they make it before the pup, if they make the pass before the draft zone ends, or drop back when the draft zone ends. So imagine the tactical battles that would exist in the zone if someone catches you, uh, and do you draft off them or do you let them go? So he's kind of saying there'd be periods of the race where you can have some yeah. drafting. Yeah, it is it's definite opportunity, definitely something to think about. It's not the purest. The purest will be just, you know, vomiting when they hear this sort of stuff of having tactical drafting, but it would make it, it could potentially make it a lot more interesting. Uh, and But then you just have to weigh it up all the time, you know. Um, if you do that, are you going to gas yourself? If you're going to go really hard down straight to get in a draft zone and then you've got to pop back out, 
is that is it really worth it? And it would take quite a while to actually figure that out. So um, yeah, I'm intrigued to see something like that potentially uh, eventuate further down the track. Okay, we're going to do this week's discussion now. John, the first one, Meredith Kessler. I'm going to say I think she got a fifth. Yeah, I'm going to say it's not a fifth. I'm I'm going to I'm going to say I don't even I'm going to say she hasn't got a top ten. Oh, I'm pretty sure she got a ten. Because then okay. she when she won I mean New Zealand, did she do well one before one of those? Uh, oh, I see. I'm saying not. I'm saying she's okay. one of the best athletes outside of Kona. Yeah. Like some of her Ironman New Zealand performances have been incredible and other Ironmans around the world. She's won a lot of races and we'll find out in a moment how many. So she's currently, she's still plugging away. She's 45 years old now um, and she's definitely got one child. I don't know if she's got any more than that. Um, so good on her for keep on going. Um, let's see what her story is. So last year didn't have any sort of uh, podiums other than a 70.3 nor the year before. We sort of have to go back to the pre-Kona years when she got a second at Ironman New Zealand and Ironman Florida. And then if we start looking for Hawaii in 2019, she got 33rd, the famous 33rd position. 2018 didn't get anywhere. 2017 didn't do it. 35th in uh, 2016. 26th in 2015. Uh, 2014, nothing. Oh, there you go. Here we go. Seventh in okay. 2013. Uh, and that is it. So she's had one, one result. You, yeah, yeah, I'm happy to give that to you. So in 2013, she finished seventh. She swam 54, biked a 455, and ran a 316. Pretty well balanced race. I imagine that would have been a Chris. I know it's a Marinda Carfrey year. It was the Marinda Carfrey won by about five minutes in front of Rachel Joyce and Liz Blatchford. Then you had Yvonne Van Vlerken, Caroline Stephan, Caitlin Snow, and Meredith Kessler. Ah, oh, Meredith Kessler. She got bummed out by, by Caitlin Snow by seven seconds. Bit of a sprint finish, but she did well to hold off. Meredith Kessler, who was only another, I mean, Michelle Vesterby, who was uh, less than a minute behind her. Pretty close racing there from fifth through to uh, fifth through to eighth, only two minutes covering it. God, that'd be tough if you're in Kona. I've never been in that situation where oh, you're yeah. in the last, you know, case yeah. of the race and two minutes, you know, that can evaporate very, very quickly. There's quite a bit of money on the line. And okay, I've got a question pressure. for Thorsten. I've got a season question for Thorsten. So what's been the biggest drop back in places for someone who hasn't blown up? Because you're blowing up, it's a different beast. You, maybe you don't finish, but from in the last five k's of the race for a pro, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you know, you might have been second, you end up in eighth. You know what's been the worst yeah. example of that? Yeah, if you blow up at halfway, then you're out there, out yeah. the back door. But yeah. as you said, who's lost the lowest, most amount of time? You, you, you probably say Paula News rephrase when she literally stopped. Yeah, that doesn't. That probably is a little bit different. But yeah, that's a bit that's extreme. True. But but someone who still kind of got to the finish line. Um, because how many places was she lost in? She lost heaps because she was like for half an hour, wasn't she? Yeah, she still got uh, she still did quite well. Did she? Um, it was let me try to think what year that was. Was it 1990? No, it was maybe a bit before that. I think it was 1995, I reckon it was. Let's see if I got my memory right there. Yeah, it was 95. She dropped to fourth place. She still ran a 338. How long um, was she on the side? She was on the side. It was literally like 200 meters from the finish line, wasn't it? It would be about, must have been at least 20 minutes because Karen Smyers won the race in uh, yep. 9.16 and Paul Newby Fraser was 9.37. So that's 21 minutes. Plus is the actual, I don't know how much of a lead she had when she actually got to that point. I don't think it was that much at that time. Okay. So let's say it's you know somewhere between 25 and 30 minutes and she still finished in fourth place. 
And it was just like literally just up the road, wasn't it? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, you're on Elite Drive. You know, you're yeah. you know you can just about see the finish line. Crazy, hey? That's mind blowing. Uh, okay, John. So the quiz question. So Mary Kester was seventh. Now I've actually looked at the answer because I'm hopeless at geography. So the furthest city in the world to Kona. Have you looked at the answer? Yes. Okay. So oh, that's, <laughs> we can't. We can guess. Yeah, that's <laughs> okay. no, not that much fun. So if you if you think about it, furthest city from Kona, and if you're in Africa, you bug it if you're in Dubai, man. Lusaka. I don't actually yeah. know where Lusaka is, but Hariri is, is, it, Harari it, is the second one. That's Zimbabwe, which is 19,282 kilometers away. So all the countries here that or cities that are listed are basically all South Africa. Um, it's and Zimbabwe. I think it's in Zambia. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So have some sympathy for South Africa. If you meet any South Africans in Hawaii, um, have a little bit of sympathy for them. Yeah, they've got a long way to Pretty be tough. there. Now, did you do a swim? Do you swim on a Monday? No, I do not. So I've not swum. Uh, so we will have to save my swim set for oh, next week. People will be tearing on the walls, John. I tell you. Okay, yeah, uh, let's right. say thank you to our patrons, John. You go first. Oh, I've lost my page now. Oh, I'll go first. Gavin uh, Duffy, the big brew. We've got Aiden Milan. Uh, he's Mister Moo, and then we've got the mighty Rob Flynn. So, John, if you're right. a patron of the show, go www.imtalk.me. It supports the boys and what we do and getting content out to you each week. Uh, go through the process, donate some of your hard-earned money our way, and it just supports us in getting a show out. If you want some coaching, go to coachjohnnewson.com, epiccamp.com for anything Epic Camp, and for anything I do, bevanjamesisles.com. And for anything you want to email us, email us at imtalkpodcast at gmail.com. Jombo, your goss. What's my gossip, Evan? A bit of triathlon viewing over the weekend. As I said, watching all the World Cup races. I've got to say, the mixed relay is a great format when you've got a little bit of interest in, in a particular team. So we had like, obviously had the New Zealand teams and we know some of the athletes and those junior teams. It's a great format. It's a better format when you've got kind of just second-tier athletes racing because you get a lot of movement between the different teams. When all the top guns are racing, like France, and they, they just crush everybody. Okay. But um, when you've got sort of second-tier athletes, they might have a slightly weaker female or a slightly weaker male. You get lots of movement around the place. And it's, it's really exciting. It's nice so and fast. Won it? And, uh, Australia won it, um, but they weren't leading all the way. And New Zealand was leading for quite a bit. And then it was a pack. And it, yeah, it just changed around a lot. It was uh, it was a really good watch. And like they're just moving it when they get on the run. They had a, it was a, a swim, I guess, was about 300 meters maybe. And then the bike was about six, five or six Ks. And then they ran two. Um, so when they get off and they run, they are booking it. You know, they're absolutely yeah. flying. Uh, so it's a really cool format. And, um, yeah, especially when you don't have those teams that are really dominant and you get a lot of movement. So that was my sort of Saturday afternoon was watching a bit of triathlon. Um, so, yeah, didn't get up to too much else over the weekend, Bevan. Had a bit of barbecue on Saturday night and finally felt good in a training session at the weekend. So oh, that really? was a good relief. Did an Olympic distance triathlon on Saturday, sort of an Ironman effort, sort of last hit out for a few of the athletes that are going up to Topol this weekend. And finally realised I wasn't completely washed up. So that was a relief. I had a bit of a not washed up moment on the weekend too, John, because I'm doing this ghost ride. Um, I haven't got a mountain bike yet, so I'm just doing some, like I did a two-hour ride. I'm, I'm just, oh, I want to get to four hours before we do it, so I'm just kind of getting some volume back in the legs. And I taught a sprint class at the first at the beforehand, so sprint is basically like hits on the bike, uh, just because no one else could teach on a Sunday morning. 
And so I thought I'd just do another 90 minutes. And I went out to, I did reverse short pace basically. And I go up Evans Pass. And just at the bottom of Evans, this young guy just takes off. And and I just had that moment of when I was younger, mate, I could stay with you. And I yeah. but I, I just had to let it go. But then he he went he went crazy. Like he put he probably put a hundred meters on me in, in 15 seconds. Like he just blitzed yeah, me yeah. out of the water. And I didn't know, I knew I couldn't go there. So I just kind of thought, no, nah, just but I grinded up the hill and he started to blow up. And he started to blow up, <laughs> but I basically caught him right at the top. And I have to admit, yeah. I was a bit of a, I was a bit happy, and then we actually ended up riding together for the next kind of twenty k's. He was quite a nice kid, but um, yeah, it was it was a good example of don't blow up at the start, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that power to weight ratio that the young kids have got just can just destroy you at the beginning. Oh yeah, yeah. Like if yeah. seriously, like maybe oh back in my day, I probably because oh, I think he's, he's he hasn't been riding for that long. I, I would have been a better cyclist than him, but. There's no way yeah. I could do that now, man. I'd be dying, you know, just yeah. explosiveness. But um, I am enjoying getting back on the bike. Not, you know, mm. I don't know if I want to spend that much time on the bike, but um, we, we live in the best city to ride in. Mm. And that's you where know. sometimes we're critical of people being on Zwift and things like that and indoor training all the time. It's just because we've got it so lucky here. It's like yeah. I'm rolling out the door and I'm riding and I don't have to go through one single set of traffic lights. There's not much traffic. It's all pretty good. And it's paradise. Like, the, you know, mm. like doing that drop in from over the Kiwi when you head onto the other side of Dyes Pass Road, going down into the Governor's Bayside, and you get that view of that around the harbour. Oh, it's absolutely stunning. So, come and do Sea to Sky, people. If you're in, in the rest of New Zealand, come do my Sea to Sky in a few weeks' time, March the 17th. You can stick around for a week, do a bit of riding, and then you can watch the Sail GP the following weekend. Are you going? I don't know. No, we're not actually because we're away. We're in uh, Tauranga. You can't get tickets now. I think it's sold out. Nice. Yeah. It's a good watch. It's a good watch. Any goss this week? I've got another story, but I'll save that for next week. Oh. It's a goodie. Oh. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll save it for next week. Okay, guys. Let's wrap it up, Jobbo. I'm Russ. I'm Udo. Train hard. Train smart. Chia kaha. Chia kaha.